Have you ever asked yourself the question, what am I supposed to do with this? Maybe you were building an Ikea shelf at your house and you were looking down at all the pieces that are left and one of those just looked like it could have been really important, but it's not a part of that shelf that you built. Maybe it was when you were a kid and you were opening up a brand new packet of Legos and you were just so excited to get to work building it and you had this piece and you're just like, what? do I do with this? Now, a couple weeks ago, we've been doing some work around the church building on some of our live streaming and internet and running cable and just all kinds of different interesting things. And I got handed a tool that looked a little bit like a screwdriver. And the screwdriver that I got given wasn't actually a screwdriver, it was a punch down tool. And then I got handed this thing it was like a keystone. So we were supposed to wire all the wires into this thing. And I just was like, guys, what am I supposed to do with this? I'm a pastor. Well, maybe you've been reading the Bible before. And maybe you've even been going through the book of Psalms with us as we're studying this book of the prayers and songs of God's people. And you've come across a verse that you've been like, what is that doing in my devotional time? What, what am I supposed to do with that? See, the Bible can sometimes be full of passages that make us ask the question, what am I supposed to do with this? So we're going to jump in to some of the more challenging psalms together today. Would you pray with me? Father God, we know that your word has a message to speak to us. And God, we pray that your spirit would move in our church family as we continue to dive into these psalms and that that would enrich our prayer life. And God, we pray that you would have something to share with us today from this passages we're going to study. And so we trust you in everything, Jesus. It's in your name. Amen. Now, uh, my name is Andrew Bullock. I'm the Next Gen Pastor here at Dallas Church, and I'm so glad that you're joining us. Now, here at Dallas Church, we really like the Bible. You're going to show up, and every week we are going to teach a message out of God's Word, the Bible. Now, when someone says that question, though, I want, I want to ask the question, what do they mean when they say that God's, the Bible is God's word? Now, what we mean when we say that the Bible is God's word is the Bible is the product of not just that it like dropped out of heaven one time and God like sent us an email and it just showed up, but, but actually what it was was human authors, what the Bible says were carried along by the spirit in the same way that a sailboat would be carried along by the wind, and the wind would fill those sails and move them. Now, the Bible is actually a bunch of documents that were comprised and written over about 1,500 years, written by all kinds of different people. And you'll notice as you talk to different people that they have different words and vocabulary. If you talk to me for a long time, or even if you listen back to the sermons and the announcements and things that I give, I have different vocabulary than our lead pastor, Ben. I use the word super awesome way too much. I'm like, this is a super awesome sermon from a super awesome book. We're gonna have a super awesome event. And so maybe if you were doing some detective work, you could come back later and read an announcement or read a transcript and go, ah, super awesome. That's Andrew. That's, that's the mark of Andrew. Because people use different words. So with the Psalms, a lot of those were written by a guy named David. Maybe you've heard the story of David in the Old Testament. We've got the famous story of the shepherd boy that they tell in Sunday school about how he fought the giant Goliath and he stood up for God's people. Maybe you've heard the story about times when he messed up 
And maybe you've heard the story about times where he was in trouble and there was a rebellion. He had to get out of town and flee. So David had this kind of like battle-filled, warring lifestyle. He would go to the battlefield so often. And you wouldn't think that the biggest collection of poetry in the Bible would have been written by one of the most ambitious warriors that the people of Israel had seen up to that point. Because in our day and age, like when we hear poet and songwriter, we're not thinking SEAL Team 6, we're thinking Justin Bieber. Now, David is going to write some poetry, and, and in the Psalms, we've, we've started this series, we call it the prayers and songs of God's people. Because we really do believe that this book of Psalms is such an important uh, piece of literature, something that can really enrich our prayer life. Because the Bible is God's word to us, but prayer is our words to God. There are kind of three things that help sustain the Christian life. One of those is the getting into God's word and reading the Bible. Another aspect is spending time in prayer. Maybe you were taught as a kid to pray before you eat. Maybe you were taught to uh, say prayers before you went to bed. So prayer is this rhythm, though, in the Jesus follower, where we have a rhythm of listening to God with the Bible and giving prayers back to God. And in the book of Psalms, we get some vocabulary that kind of expands on the types of things that we should pray about. Now, we at Dallas Church believe that the Bible is 100% true and the inspired word of God. And I've got a mega sentence that I had to memorize in Bible college. So this mega nerdy sentence, bear with me, because it's going to explain what we mean when we say that the Bible is inspired. We mean that the Bible in its original autographs, when correctly interpreted, is 100% true in all it teaches and affirms. Now, I realize you're probably not going to tweet that this week and be like, oh man, Andrew said something so great. But what we mean is that the Bible, in the way it was originally written, and when we correctly interpret it, is when it's 100% true in all that it's trying to get across. Now, I've heard the Bible used in some crazy interpretive ways. There was one time that someone even used the book of Nehemiah to say that that predicted Richard Nixon. Because there's a Watergate in the book of Nehemiah. And what they meant in Jerusalem is that there's this gate that you go in to bring the water in. And there were Bible scholars and people who were like, oh, look, we found Watergate in the Bible. Guys, that's not a proper interpretation. And so we do believe that the Bible is helpful and it is God's word, but we have to use it correctly. And when we come to this book of Psalms, we've talked about the wisdom Psalms. We talked about the Psalms of Lament and in this book of Psalms, it's going to give us some things that we can pray for that maybe we wouldn't even think to pray about. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, We sometimes have to pray contrary to our own heart. We pray not what we want to pray, but what God wants us to pray. And so here we are coming to the book of Psalms and trying to figure out what it is that we can gain from this. And there's something about songs that can capture our emotions and can express emotions that maybe we'd even struggle to put into words. We also are told that the Spirit helps us pray. Uh, Romans 8.28 says, Likewise, 
the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. And so here we come to the Psalms to get some ideas about the different kinds of things that we can pray for. And maybe you've been reading through Psalms and you've run into some crazy stuff. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 10 today. So if you look up Psalm number 10, that's going to be the one that we spend most of our time on. And maybe you've been reading through the Psalms. You were taking Ben's challenge to do a Psalm a day. And some of those Psalms that you read are like Psalm 23, which is just this really famous one that we love because of the comfort that it can bring about how the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I have a, a journal at home that has um, of the Psalms written in it so I can do some journaling. And there's some of these beautiful pictures that are in there of like a deer and as the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you. But sometimes when you're reading the Psalms, you get to something like Psalm 10. Let's read that one. Here we go. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Maybe you remember some of those Psalms of lament. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourselves in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul and the greedy ones for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at him. He says in his heart, I will not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversary. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. Are you tracking with me? This is some really encouraging stuff. And if you were going to jump in and expect to get kind of your spiritual fuzzies for the morning, this psalm wouldn't be able to do it for you. But let's keep going. It addresses some really real things about our world. Verse 8, it says, He sits in ambush in the villages and is hiding. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. And in this moment, the psalmist is being really real about what he sees in the world. He's looking out. And he sees the wicked and the oppressor. He sees evil power structures, systemic evil that oppresses and hurts people. He sees that all through his world. And he's calling out to God and asking to do something about it. So then we get another verse that you probably aren't going to get tattooed on your arm. Here we go. Arise, O Lord, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account, but you do see, for you note the mischief and vexation that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. Isn't that just a great verse? I think that, that could be our verse for the year for the children's ministry. Break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Okay, maybe not. Maybe we shouldn't do that for the kids' ministry. 
But maybe you've been there and you've looked out in the world and you've seen the evil that happens and the stuff that goes on. And you said, God, why won't you do something about this? That's what this psalmist is doing. He's giving us the opportunity to, in our prayer life, start to kind of ask God to move against injustice. And it's not just Psalm number 10. It'd be one thing if this was one kind of fluke. You've got Psalm 21, 8 to 12. says, you will capture all your enemies. Your strong right hand will seize all you hate. Well, even Psalm 139, that's a psalm that we really like because it talks about how in my mother's womb, you knit me together, talking about how God created us. But you keep going through that verse, you end up with, oh, that you would slay the wicked, oh God. Oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with, the, with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those you hate, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? Whoa, this kind of stuff's in the Bible? And I think we need to be really honest about this. These are what are called the imprecatory psalms. That word imprecatory also means cursing. It's asking God to move and to intervene and to have judgment on the evil that's going on in the world. Now, constantly in the Psalms, David's going to do this. He's going to call God to move in and to fight injustice. Now, we need to be faithful readers of the Bible. We don't get to show up to the Bible with our pen and Sharpie and highlighter and say, I like this verse. I don't like this verse. This is what God has to say. This is not. We don't get to do that. The pastor John Piper tells the story about one time he was at a conference and someone just threw this psalm out and said, that's a Pharisee's psalm. I don't even want to hear about that one. Not even in the Bible. But we also can't just brush past it and ignore it. We need to deal with it. And then also, we need to not have our faith shaken when we realize that this stuff is in the Bible. I think that's a really important thing for us to realize. Because there are some people who would say, look, the God of the Old Testament, he's, he's mean and he's nasty and we don't like him. We like that God of the New Testament who's like, love and uh, love your neighbor and all that stuff. But we need to be honest with who God is and how he is revealed in Scripture. And these imprecatory psalms, they teach us that God has anger against injustice. God has anger at the things that happen in our world that cause us anger. Those things that we look out at and we see and we're not happy about it. Guess what? A lot of times God isn't happy about it either. It acknowledges the brokenness of the world that we live in. And in the same way that the psalms of lament embrace sadness, the imprecatory psalms embrace this emotion of anger. See, the Bible tells us that you can be angry and not sin. Ephesians 4.26 says, in your anger, do not sin. Over and over again, we're going to see in the Bible that when people are doing injustice to each other, when they're hurting each other, that that's God's response is anger because he wants to protect his creation. And so we shouldn't, be, uh, uh, we shouldn't be surprised and we shouldn't be offended that the Bible talks about this. In fact, we probably should, on the other side, be concerned if the Bible didn't mention this. Maybe you've been 
in a situation where the boss or the person above you, there was someone messing up or someone doing wrong, and they just turned a blind eye. They didn't even see it. They didn't even look at it. How did that make you feel? See, our God sees it all, and he's going to do something about it. Often he does in the moment do stuff about it, but there's also an ultimate judgment. We're going to talk about that um, as we continue on. We also see in the imprecatory Psalms that this vengeance thing, this whole like coming down and bringing the hammer on the bad guys, that's something we leave to God. Never is the psalmist going to say, God, I'm taking up my sword to go deal with this. I'm going to go take care of this on my behalf. But rather over and over again, he's asking God to do it for him. Romans 12, 19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. He's saying, we just put that in God's hands. And so here we are as New Testament Christians who try to follow Jesus. And in our Bible, we've got some of these really rough words in the Psalms. There's also something we can think through with these passages and the fact that it is poetry. Have you ever said, I'm fuming mad? Or you've ever said, I saw red? Now, those are poetic word pictures. Maybe you didn't actually see the color red, but you were really mad. Hopefully, none of us have, have actually had steam coming out of our ears like those cartoon characters. But the psalmist is going to use some poetic imagery to show his emotions and God's emotions about what's going on. And I think that we care about justice because we're made in the image of God. We care about this type of stuff because God's image is imprinted on our hearts. And the same thing in us that when we're watching an action movie and we're really excited that eventually the bad guys are going to get it. Like that's, we, we have an entire genre of film dedicated to the fact that we want to watch the good guy open up, you know, a can who wants to go after the bad guys and show them who's boss. Because we're built in the image of God and God is going to deal with injustice. So here we end up with these imprecatory Psalms and we need to read them through the lens of the New Testament. We also look at what Jesus says. Jesus says to love our enemies. Matthew chapter five, verses 43, 45, he says, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And so we're supposed to pray, not, even, not just, you know, we pray the end of evil structures, but we don't pray bad things on our neighbors. We want to pray for those, even if they're maybe not treating us right. That's what we're encouraged to do with Jesus. We're also told in Ephesians chapter six, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, our true enemy as Jesus followers is never the person in front of us. It's actually these bigger and deeper things that are going on. And there are, we're just going to be real honest here at Dallas Church and tell you, there are demonic powers in our world. There are forces of darkness in the same way that there is a God who loves us and is for us and is working in the spiritual realms. There is also a spiritual realm of darkness where 
there's more than meets the eye to some of these things. And we might see greed and oppression. We might see world powers and countries and governments that enslave others. But what's going on and what the Bible says is behind the scenes, there's this ultimate story of good versus evil. And that's the thing that we stand against. That's the thing we ultimately fight. There are so many things. We just scroll through Facebook, scroll through the news. You're going to see all kinds of stuff that I just wish we could snap our fingers. It would all be gone. And that's the emotion of the imprecatory Psalms, asking God to come in and to do justice. So what do we do? As, as people in the 21st century, we read these imprecatory Psalms, what do we do? Well, ultimately, we put justice in the hands of God. Because if you turn to the last page of the Bible, you're going to see in the book of Revelation some more poetic imagery talking about how Jesus comes in. And, and in the same way, see, we saw him as, as the Lamb of God, as the sacrifice, as the person who laid down his life so that we could have a way back to God and have grace and forgiveness. Well, you turn to the end of the book of Revelation, and he's going to put all things right. And he's ultimately going to deal with all of the brokenness in our world. And so we put all of that, that, that desire for justice, we pray for justice, we put it in the hands of God. And there's, there's one final command where, where God told us in Micah 6, 8, he says, he has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly with God. And so in the day in and the day out, that's what we do. We do justice. We stand up for the people in our workplace, the people in our community who need us to stand up for them, to fight for justice. We love kindness and mercy and care for our neighbors and do all of those, all of that love your neighbor stuff that we would have thought of when you think of the New Testament and reading, reading that. And we do that as image bearers and the fact that we bear God's image. And so that's our only point for today, to put ultimate justice in the hands of God. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. We are so glad that you love us, that you care for us, that you made a way for us to come back to you, to have grace, that it's not ultimately that you are just a, a God of wrath, but you're also a God who gives us grace through Jesus. We all have an opportunity to come back to you. And so we just want to trust you, Jesus, with all of the justice, all of the big things in the world that are, are too lofty for us. And just put that in your hands. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.